Hi, Claire. Hi, Zoe. How's it going? Oh, okay. Not too bad. Well, uh, we're doing well despite the fact that uh, Quillette's allegedly a far-right publication. Yeah, you're right. So we've been misrepresented once again. Classic. (laughs) It came to my attention earlier this week, an organisation called the Media Research Centre, which I don't really know much about. I think it's a conservative organisation, but I they seem to be highly partisan. So I'm not, you know, I don't know how much to trust this organisation. But they apparently um, spend their time FOIing um, departments, so bureaucracies in the United States, and they FOI'd the Department of Homeland Security and they found some grant money, hundreds of thousands of dollars of grant money given to an academic who is an activist. And um, many such cases. Part of his grant application included an image called the Pyramid of Far-Right Radicalisation And in this image, uh, down the bottom is sort of like mainstream conservative organisations in the United States. Like every every organisation on this pyramid was American. We're Australian. We were the only international organisation, but we were further up on this pyramid of far-right radicalisation. Mm-hmm. We're in Tier 2. We're, we were in Tier 2 next to Infowars and Proud, the Proud Boys, mm-hmm. which is a terrorist organisation in the mm-hmm. United States. Infowars, PragerU and Turning Point. Turning Point USA and I think so I think they considered us to be more radicalizing and right wing than Fox News. So I mean it's really hard to know how to respond to such blatant misrepresentation. I mean a person could have not read a single one of our articles to come to such a conclusion. Just clicking on our website uh, and poking around makes it clear that we are a classical liberal centrist organisation. Any person who cannot tell the difference between classical liberalism or centrism and partisan right-wing advocacy or even far-right advocacy just shouldn't be commenting in the public arena. And it's really quite astonishing that such misrepresentation continues. I mean, we were misrepresented when we first sort of became successful. We had traction back in 2018, 2019. We were misrepresented quite frequently by a lot of academics who were sort of disgruntled or even envious about our success and so I was like okay you know haters are gonna hate Mm -hmm. right but now in 2023 we have suffered as you know Zoe we have suffered so much abuse from the right wing Mm -hmm. in America because of of our stances on COVID every single day we are getting comments and trolls on our social media accounts from people who hate me And to still be misrepresented by left-wing academics as being far-right when we are hated by the far-right, it really gets under my skin and it's like, when is this going to stop? When is this going to end? Yeah, and I have little hope that it will end. I'm not sure. Like these people, it's like they don't want to see the truth. They're willfully blind. They want to put us in a certain box and that's easier. And like when I saw this 
pyramid, which looks like it was done on Microsoft Paint, by the way. <laughs> like, it's so bad. It makes me want to laugh. Like, it's horrible, but it's also hilarious because yeah. anyone who actually reads us or knows us or any of the editors personally mm. knows that we are not far right whatsoever. I'm barely even classed as conservative. Like, we're all um, very centrist and it's just ridiculous. And it's sad that I can't believe there are academics like this teaching at universities. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> and in Australia as well, remember there was that one academic who wrote this um, piece, uh, Quillette Classical Liberalism and the International New Right. Some academic from, should I say her name? Uh, well, if you've got it in front of you. Yeah, Imogen Richards and Callum Jones. So this. The reason I came across this, it's actually a book. Um, a chapter in a, a book. A chapter in a book. Yeah. And it's, I think, recommended reading in a number of um, courses, yeah. political courses in at Australian unis. And I came across it because it was referenced on our Wikipedia page, which is yet again subject to... Vandalism. Misrepresentation, mm-hmm. vandalism. But they get away with it because they reference mm, these mm, mm. academic mm. sources. Yeah. Even though they're completely biased. These people are activists, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, you can be an activist, mm. but when you're also, um, you know, signing off on people's degrees and like, it's not right. Yeah. And I mean, we should make it clear that it's entirely valid for academics and researchers to have opinions about us. And like, I think it's entirely valid, like if some academics want to write a chapter in a book and um, talk about how they think that classical liberalism is uh, a facade for something more nefarious, I mean, that's, they're entitled to their views, that's fine. The problem is that these types of critiques or views are not balanced out by opposing viewpoints. And the problem that we have encountered, and I know that other people have encountered, is that people with these very hard left views, and by hard left, I don't mean necessarily communist or socialist, just that there's a there's a type of activists who views anything to the right of them as being far right. So it doesn't matter if you're in the, a moderate or in the centre or you're all the way over with Alex Jones, to these activists, you're all the same. So that type of perspective, it's common among activists and they're but activists who hold that perspective are very organised and they become editors on Wikipedia. They become academics. Moderators on Reddit. Yeah, moderators on Reddit, that's Mm -hmm. right. And so there's a level of organisation that moderate people (laughs) such as ourselves just cannot compete with because like I was saying to you in, in another chat, moderate people or people who have other things to do like go to work and raise children aren't that invested in politics And so they have better things to do than spend their free time editing Wikipedia. But what that means is there's a vacuum and that vacuum gets filled by people with quite hardened fanatical views. And so that's when you get this type of misrepresentation going unchallenged. Now, I'm not, I don't mind if people like, people misrepresent me or Quillette, but I do get annoyed when it goes unchallenged. Mm-hmm. Um, and and given, given that we have 
copped so much criticism and flack from the right. It would be nice sometime if our left-wing critics acknowledged that. Mm. It would be nice if those who hate us on the left acknowledged that we are also hated on the right. Uh, if someone wanted to acknowledge that, I would take their criticism of us a little bit more seriously. But to date, I don't see that happening. And I, I think a lot of our critics on the left are completely unaware of how we're viewed on the right. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lack of, not only do they lack curiosity when it comes to reading our articles, they lack curiosity when it comes to uh, discovering what other political tribes think of us. Mm-hmm. Well, it's part of the way that faction of the left thinks, right? Like they don't even want to consider us because then it's like wrong think and, you know, they don't want to get cancelled by their own side by showing uh, honesty or even, you know, sympathy towards us. They just don't even want to touch it. Um, And I mean, you know, we all, we all use heuristics. We all use shortcuts. Like I'm sure... I dismiss um, articles from – I mean, I do it all the time. I don't read um, articles from Fox News. I don't read articles from hyper-partisan – I don't read MSNBC or CNN because I know it's going to be biased and I'm not going to trust it. Um, And so I I guess people see the Colette.com domain name and just immediately dismiss us, but – It irritates me when people dismiss us because of what they've heard, not because they have any actual familiarity with our content. It happens all the time. What frustrates me the most is that when I meet someone new, like I I met a a dude in the the office a few days ago and he was asking about where I worked and I said I work for a magazine. What's the name? Colette. And he looked it up and... Uh, you know, the first place that most people go to is Wikipedia. I do it all the time. I love Wikipedia. Mm. Um, But only through working at Quillette have I realised how biased it is because I was in a back-and-forth war of attrition (laughs) with some, you know, moderator or full-time editor, um, Wikipedia editor. I just tried to update the most basic benign info on our page like it was about a podcast we used to have that we no longer have and I just wanted to update that boom all my edits have been removed the page has been vandalized I'm trying to just remove the vandalism Mm -hmm. and because I'm I'm you know a moderate person with a normal life and I'm Mm. not playing you know video games online all day and like getting into you know Editing wars. Editing wars. Um, I spent too much time in this one editing war. But I don't have the technical knowledge to do all this stuff, you know. Yeah. And you found in poking around on Wikipedia that the people who edit our page are the editors of of pages to do with transgender activism. Yes. Yes. And they're people who have uh, that identity yeah. or maybe have a have interest they they edit trans yeah. activist pages yeah. anime pages yeah. it usually comes in game a page yeah yeah they tend to be they have their pronouns in their wikipedia page i don't even know how you do that mm. um they take it very very seriously and yeah they're they're full-time editors of very niche yeah. gender 
ideology pages and um, usually have, yeah, anime profile pictures and stuff like that. So they're just people who spend a lot of time online, which is saying a lot because I also spend a lot of time online in different spaces. Mm. And, you know, we should make our readers and listeners aware that this affects us not just on a personal level but on a business level. We are currently banned from advertising on meta platforms, so Mm -hmm. Instagram and Facebook, because our content is automatically flagged as being adult content. Uh, And that's been the case for years. And this ban will have uh, slowed down our growth. Um, It's just, it's just a fact. And you know, it's the being misrepresented and um, mischaracterized. It does it does have consequences. It does harm your business, harm your reputation. It does make it harder to grow and reach new audience members because you know it's you know people people hear about you before they become familiar with who you actually are yeah yeah we haven't been able to run an ad successfully on meta so that's facebook and instagram for at least 6 months now and the only successful ad i could run it took me hours on the phone to customer service mm-hmm. somewhere oh, it's overseas. Been, it's been a lot longer than six months. Yeah. It's been a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's um, very frustrating. And then there's the whole Reddit thing as well where I'd try to, um, you know, post a link to one of our articles in a subreddit and got told by at least like three moderators that linking to Quillette is completely banned. You just cannot do it. Yeah. And that was the uh, Europe Europe subreddit that has a good three mil, I'm not sure. 4.5 million. Yeah, a few million um, members. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, how do they, you know, I asked them about it and they just reference things like this, that, oh, well, you're just like um, Infowars. Yeah. Look, this academic who is an expert in political, you know, ideologies says that you're the same. So, boom, you're out. It's very unfair. It's very frustrating. I think, um, yeah, it's it's annoying, and it's annoying for our writers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had we published two long reads recently uh, by a criminal law expert called Andrew Hamill on the Adnan Saeed Mm. case. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but his case was the basis of the serial podcast, which kind of launched true crime podcast as a as a genre. Anyway, uh, he was exonerated in part because of the podcast and Andrew Hamill uh, looked at the exoneration and gained access to all of the legal case files and produced uh, two long reads for us, basically arguing that the exoneration was wrong. And he, his style of journalism is incredibly forensic. Uh, he goes into a level of detail that is very rare, uh, even for the most thorough journalists. Anyway, his articles were completely apolitical. There's nothing political about this 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 case. It's a it's an issue of miscarriage of justice, and uh, the articles were shared by the creator of The Wire. And. <laughs> The uh, 
the creator of the Y wasn't familiar with Quillette, so he wasn't prepared for all of the comments coming underneath uh, his tweet, basically saying that, you know, why that we're some kind of far-right organisation, why are you sharing Quillette? And, um, you know, I, I just I felt sorry for the author in that that situation here he was having his work shared by someone uh of of very high esteem in um in writing and in just in in culture in general and and yet he's being attacked not because of anything he's done but simply because of the place that he chose to publish at. I mean, it's unfair for us as well, but in that situation I felt sorry for the author. And um, it's just regrettable that, uh, you know, I I think it's something to do with the, the culture wars of the United States that they're just so toxic that even sharing articles from an outlet is considered some kind of transgression. And I know, I know you saw a tweet below that, which was like, um, you know, responding to the, the creator of the wire, like, Oh, don't you know that Quillette is a bastion for far right and, um, proud boys and, um, and, I was like, yeah, but there are also people like me who read it, like, <laughs> oh, lucky, like, you know, maybe some Proud Boys have liked a few of our articles. Like, you can't control everything. Like, yeah. it's, but they can't. It's that guilt by association. Mm. Like, but I, I don't have it at all. I mean, I read Jacobin, even though I'm not a socialist. I read the Worldwide Socialist Web, even though I'm not a socialist. Uh, I mean. I said before that I don't read Fox News, which is maybe a bit harsh. I read a lot of conservative magazines. I read Wall Street Journal. I read Commentary. I write for The Australian in Australia, which is a centre-right publication. But I read a lot of left-wing outlets. I read The New York Times. I read Washington Post. I read The Economist. I'm subscribed to about 40 different substacks, which is going to send me broke. But, you know, I'm promiscuous in what I read and it doesn't, I cannot understand the mindset that you wouldn't read an article about something you're interested in because of the platform that it's on. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there who really, I think, just really lack curiosity, I'm afraid. Mm. Yeah, it's sad. And I don't know if you can make these people more curious. Like, I'm not sure if you can encourage it. (laughs) Probably not. It might have something to do with uh, the personality trait of openness to experience. Mm. Yeah. Um, Like, ironically, these people... Um, are actually quite conservative. In temperament. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. They're scared of new um, experiences or new Mm. people. Mm -hmm. They're not curious at all. Yeah, that's right. And so openness to experience, which is a trait that I'm high in and I know that you're high in, is a trait that's associated with liberal politics, small L liberal politics. But in today's climate, Uh, I would imagine that it's associated with heterodoxy, so being able to uh, read and absorb ideas from all political persuasions, um, conservative, left-wing, whatever. Um, And you're right. You see these people who have progressive politics but they're incredibly fixed, closed-minded and conservative in their temperament in not... um, 
willing to budge and not being open to new ideas. And it's kind of ironic because, uh, you know, you've got the progressive values, but this very um, militant sort of personality approach that goes along with it. So it's interesting. And that's why I was so scared to like come out as heterodox because before that I was hanging around with very like militant left-wing people and we always bonded because culturally, you know, we enjoyed the same music and art and, you know, we were uh, open-minded in that way, in in a way that conservatives are a bit more, you know, like daggy or straighty 180. (laughs) That was my idea. Um, And I didn't want to lose those people because they're the people I have fun with and I bond with. Um, But ideologically, a lot of them just disowned me. But there are a few who I'm still in contact with. And Mm. actually now I've got better friends and better connections because, yeah, I found people who are truly free thinking and truly open-minded. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's got a lot to do with the difference between progressivism and liberalism. So I identify identify as a liberal, <laughs> um, liberal centrist. And so being a liberal means that if, if you have a liberal temperament, if you have liberal values, you tend to be interested in culture, you tend to be interested in film and music and experiences. And, you know, a big part of the driving force behind Quillette is... Uh, not just my love for culture, but uh, John and Jamie's as well. We want the good aspects of a liberal culture to be preserved Mm. and to not be politicised. So the problem, one of the problems with progressivism is politicising everything to the point where artistic merit is devalued, Uh, you know, scientific integrity is no longer subsumed by activist agendas. So it's, you know, if if you're a liberal, you you see the world beyond politics. You see art and science and all of the beautiful things of the world as being, having nothing to do with politics. And the reason why I clash with progressives is because they want politics to apply to everything. I want to sit down and enjoy a movie without thinking about the political message of the movie. I want to go to an art exhibition and enjoy the aesthetic beauty of the art that I'm looking at. I want to go to a concert and not care about, you know, the diversity on stage and who, you know, what, what representation is happening. Like I don't care about that stuff. I just want to enjoy the world. And that's what I think liberalism is. And, um, you know, it's just a shame that a lot of people who would traditionally be liberals have now sort of like been sort of captured or have drifted over to progressivism. And I think I think what happens is that a lot of people would have ordinarily been liberal. It's just that because of their social milieu, peer pressure conformity, they have to adjust their views and yeah. become political and politicised like everybody else. Yeah. yeah, and it's a shame because liberalism is truly colourblind and sexless and, you know... None of that matters. Yeah. Well, it can matter. It doesn't have to matter. Like you can be fluid. You can just, you know, you can change your mind. You don't have to be fixed in one position. Um, Do you think 
it's just a coincidence that none of our staff are American? Like, do you think there's something to do with the liberalism in Australia and the UK and Canada? Yeah. Where all our editors are from? That's an interesting question. And it's, I obviously we're Australian, Jamie is English and John is Canadian. And so we are a Commonwealth company. And I think there is something to British classical liberalism that is... Um, quite robust and perhaps more muscular than the American version. I mean, the American version, so in America, to be a liberal is to be a progressive, basically. And liberalism is associated with, you know, late term abortions and blue um, hair and. Yeah, just like it, it's just um, excessive. I think the problem, I mean, I love America, don't get me wrong, but I think the problem. One of the problems with America is extreme, extreme liberalism, which I guess you could call progressivism, and uh, but it runs in both directions. So you can see uh, extreme liberalism on the on the right as well with libertarianism. I don't consider myself a libertarian. I don't think the state is always bad. Whereas, so you can see, you know, libertarianism. Uh, leading to extreme outcomes like with the lack of regulation of guns and then extreme liberalism, uh, you know, where 15-year-olds have bodily autonomy to cut off their breasts. Yeah. You know, you can see the extremes happening on both sides um, and, I mean, this might be a lot of Americans might disagree with me. I would say it, it's liberalism to the extreme, whereas I think in the Commonwealth countries, Britain, Australia and Canada, uh, we have a more moderate version of liberalism and um, you can be a liberal and also be a small-c conservative at the same time. Uh, and, th- and this has nothing to do with what political party you vote for. You don't necessarily have to vote for the Liberal Party in Australia. You can be a Labor voter and still be a uh, small-c conservative. Yeah. And it's, I know the same is in Britain. Mm-hmm. I know it's similar situation in Britain. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what the Labor Party has traditionally represented here. Like, um, you know, people who are more for workers' rights and unionism and things like that, but pretty conservative people in many ways. And There's plenty of people who advocate for workers' rights who are also small-c conservatives. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of people and, um, yeah, I, I, I think if the Labor, the more that the Labor Party sort of lean into that, the more successful they will be. Um, that's my biased view, though. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'd love for the Labor Party to um, return to more traditional... Yeah, labor values, which I, my personal belief is that Albanese does represent. Yeah, that. yeah, I would say um, so. Yeah, shall we chat about your your column that was re- uh, published today in the Australian? Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of misrepresentation, yeah. I wrote about misrepresentation of gender critical feminists, and uh, in particular, Holly Lawford Smith and Kathleen Stock, who are two philosophers. And they have been incredibly brave in standing up to a minority of fanatics who harass them, abuse them, uh, defame them. And I watch how Holly and Kathleen conduct themselves just online and through their writing and through their speeches. And they are so dignified. 
And I think it's because they are philosophers. They put forward reasoned arguments. They don't hit back at their critics with name-calling and ad hominem or invective. They're calm and measured. And honestly, if you read their work, Kathleen Stocks or Holly Lawford-Smith's work, it's just it's hard to see how, I mean, they put forward such carefully moderate views, it's hard to see why and how they have come to be so misrepresented. So Holly's been smeared as a fascist on her campus. There have been posters and stickers put around Melbourne University's campus saying that only fascists take her course. Imagine that. Imagine going into your workplace every day over a period of months and having stickers on your office door saying, you know, you're a Nazi, you're a bigot. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's bullying. Yeah, absolutely. And in her case, I think the Dean of Arts at Melbourne University sent out an email which may have fanned the flames of that situation. The Dean of Arts um, described a women's rights rally as dehumanising and antithetical to the views of the university. And in Kathleen's case, she recently gave a talk at the Oxford Union and that was, um, you know, she she had to go to the talk flanked by bodyguards. She's received death threats for her views and uh, was advised back in 2021 apparently to put in CCTV mm-hmm. cameras in her house. So she has suffered extreme abuse for her views. Now... What are her views? Her views are simply that trans women are not literal women. She has said repeatedly that trans people deserve human rights and care and compassion and safety. But being a, a feminist and an analytic philosopher, she has interrogated some of the assumptions that underpin trans activism and has found them wanting. And those assumptions, some of those assumptions are, do we, do we describe trans women as literal women because uh, in failure to do so, they're going to harm themselves or commit suicide. That's just not a good reason. You know, that would if you if you're going to present an argument in a philosophy class and you say you have to accept my argument, otherwise I'm going to um, kill myself. Like, yeah, <laughs> you don't pass the philosophy yeah, class. Yeah, it's not a strong argument. <laughs> um, and so, because of their training, they're inherently suspicious of. Arguments that come from uh, an emotional place, so emotional reasoning. And fundamentally, that's all that trans activism is. It's just emotional reasoning, right? It's not based on, uh, you know, what we would traditionally call, um, it's not based on proofs or um, logical kind of argumentation. Uh, And so I think, you know, I, I just admire them so much for sticking to their, they would have focused on different topics before trans activism sort of exploded. And, you know, I I just admire them for sticking to their principles and their ability to think rationally whilst this sort of hysteria has taken over large parts of society and not sort of just caving in and cowering and conforming. 
because not only have they been attacked by activists, they've also been attacked by their colleagues as well. And that can be incredibly damaging and hurtful for an academic to be sort of shunned and ostracised by one's colleagues. Um, and so I just, I, I, I think they deserve tremendous credit. I agree. Good on them. They're very brave women. Okay. Well, shall we, shall we end it there? Yeah, we've yep. covered a lot. We yep. have. We have uh, until next week. Until next week, Zoe. Good Bye. chatting. Bye.